You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Uh, imagine, if you will, you're, you're at a wedding and 1 Corinthians 13 is read and your neighbor leans in and says in your ear, well, I had no idea that Bill and Shirley were so concerned about the use of spiritual gifts in the life of the church and the lack of love that is often exhibited in the local church. Well, you would look at that person like they're crazy. But they would actually be 100% correct. That's actually what this passage is about. And even though it gets a lot of airtime at weddings, and it certainly has something to say about love uh, as a gift from God, Paul here is not talking about marriage. Uh, This chapter is sandwiched between chapter 12, which talks about spiritual gifts and the unity of the church, and is followed by chapter 14, which talks about spiritual gifts and the unity of the church. And one of the great failings of the Corinthian church, indeed one of the great failings of the church in general, is a lack of love. Love for one another in the midst of the congregation is what Paul is primarily concerned with. Because the great sign of Christian maturity in the life of a believer is that we love one another. And although Paul had uh, pointed out that the Corinthian church had great power, uh, had great spiritual gifts, they lacked the most important thing. And that is love. And so this morning I want us to look at chapter 13 where Paul says, look, I'm going to show you a more excellent way. All of these spiritual gifts are great, but the spiritual gifts are not for individuals. They're for ministry. They're for the body. And you would know that if you understood what it meant to love one another. And he starts out in the first three verses by declaring that love is indispensable. Love is indispensable. He starts out talking about the gifts that the Corinthian church values. That of speaking in tongues. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, whatever that is, I am a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. And then he, start, then he gets on to gifts that he has said are, very, are, are, are great gifts. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, whatever that is, I am nothing. And then he builds on it further by talking about the gifts that the world values. If I deliver up my body to be burned, if I give every thing away that I have, but have not love, whatever that is, I gain nothing. In just three verses, he lays it all out on the table. The things that you think are important, the things that I think are important, the things that the world thinks are important, if they lack love, they're nothing. Now this is a pretty rude start. I mean, we read this, and when we hear it, we think, isn't that nice and sweet and lovely and encouraging? But I imagine if I were Paul's friend and I had heard this letter read, I would write him a note saying, Dear Paul, you mentioned that you'd like to stop by Corinth. Your letter was read this morning in the church by the elders, and everybody is hacked off. People are seething. They're upset, and they're angry. 
And so you might want to stay away because things aren't really favorable towards you coming and visiting us. You can have all of these things, Paul says, but if you have not love, whatever that is, they're useless. Well, what is love that Paul is talking about here? It's helpful if you look at verse 13 because he really sums up what he's trying to say. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Now what is he saying here? Well, Paul elsewhere, he talks about this in 1 Thessalonians, and he talks about it in Colossians, and even the author of Hebrews talks about it in chapter 10. That faith, hope, and love is Paul's shorthand for the Holy Spirit's work in the life of the Christian. This is not the only place that he mentions it. But to those who are struggling with the Christian faith, he says, I know that you're believers because I see faith, hope, and love evident in your lives. These are the work of the Holy Spirit that God imparts to you, that God gifts you. And so faith is a gift from God. Hope is a gift from God. Love is a gift from God that only the Holy Spirit can bring. These three are proof that you're a real Christian. And Paul says here that these three abide, but a better translation would be that these things will remain until Jesus comes back. Until the very end of the age. But the greatest is love. Now why is love greater? Well, C.K. Barrett asks three very good questions. Does God have faith? Does God hope? Does God love? Well, does God have faith? No. God doesn't have faith. He is the object of our faith. I mean, he's never saying, I'm putting my faith in my people to do what I've asked them to do. Just read the Old Testament. Or if you really, just read Judges. That, that, that faith would be misplaced. But God doesn't have faith in anything. He's the object of our faith. Well, does God hope? Does God sit on his throne in heaven and say, ah, I hope things work out in the end? Well, of course not. He too is the object of our hope. But does God love? Yes. Yes, God loves. And more than that, God is love. Now, I could preach a whole sermon on what that means and what that doesn't mean. But the entirety of the Bible points to the fact that God not only loves, but that he is love. He is the embodiment of love. Here is love. Not that we loved God, but that he lo loved us and sent Jesus into the world to be a propitiation for our sins. By this we know love that Jesus laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. For Paul, love is the love of Jesus Christ formed in the life of the believer. It's an other-centered love, much like the Trinity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's not a self-interested love. If you want to know what love looks like, look at Jesus. 
That's what love is. Of course it's a feeling. Of course it's a verb. But the love that the Bible talks about is far different from what the love of the world talks about. In fact, the word agape that is throughout the entirety of the New Testament talking about the love of God is one of the least used words for love in classical Greek. It's almost never used. And yet it's all over the New Testament. It's always on the lips of Jesus. And here, Paul is pouring it out. It would have been shocking to the Corinthians to read about this love. They would have been ready to hear about filial love, or even erotic love, or patriotism, a love of country. But agape love, self-sacrificing love, a love that has such an intense love for the object that it desires, that it's willing to sacrifice everything for the sake of the thing loved. That's the love that Paul is talking about here. And Paul says you don't have it. So in verses 4 through 7, he says not only is love indispensable, that it holds everything together and ought to be the definitive mark of God's people, love is also practical. When he says that love is patient and kind, it does not envy or boast, it's not arrogant or rude, it doesn't insist on its own way, it's not irritable or resentful, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth, it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now this is where Jesus would have gotten sideways with me. I hear these things and if I'm honest, I think, man, the Holy Spirit's been hanging out at my house. He sees me for what I am. Now again, these are not abstract, but are particular to the Corinthians, and yet they are principles and true to our lives. I can give you plenty of references back in this letter to the Corinthians where Paul talks about them being arrogant, rude, and insisting on their own way. But suffice it to say, how does love manifest itself in the life of God's people in the local congregation? You know, I've noticed... My kids are like little sponges. And if your kids are like my kids, they only soak up the negative things that I bring to the table. They never get the good stuff. And one of the things that they've started doing, which is a great travesty and a great shame to the gospel and to me as a father, is they picked up on my little throwaway line that, that comes out of the fact that I will not suffer fools. If you do something stupid, the word idiot will come out of my mouth almost immediately. And I've heard my children say it, idiot. I mean, one of them, actually, we were in the checkout line at a grocery store, and there were 12 items. And they, they were counting the items, and they said, idiot. Because you're only supposed to have 10. Well, what am I saying when I say that? Like the Corinthians, I think I know better than everybody else. And everybody else who doesn't think my way is an idiot. But I once told Lauren, honey, our marriage would be so much better if you were just more like me. But of course we know that's not true. <laughs> but you see what's happening in the life of the Corinthian church and what happens in our lives. We really do think that we know better. And the people who don't conform to what we think that they ought to be doing, we say, well, they're idiots. 
Or even at a young age, we're taught, don't interrupt people. And even as a grown adult, I find myself interrupting people all the time. Don't you do that? Someone's speaking to you and you're supposed to listen and all the while what you're doing is you're forming your response in your mind while they're talking, which means what? You're not listening to them. And really, you just want to be able to say what you have to say because it's going to be earth-shattering. It's going to change them forever. It's not loving at all. And indeed, we find ourselves loving the people in our lives who are just easier to love. But Paul says, no, believes all things. Are we ready to believe the worst about people? Do we actually find ourselves, well, we don't gossip, but we say, well, I want you to know about our dear brother for the sake of prayer. But really, there's a sense in which we delight in it. And we're all too quick to believe the worst about people, which shows a complete and total lack of love. So Paul says love is practical. And this list here, in verses 4 through 7, not only describes the Corinthian church, but probably, probably describes us as individuals and oftentimes the life of our own congregation. And then he gets to the final bit in this passage, verses 8 through 12, where Paul says that love is eternal. Now verse 12 gives us a summary of what he's trying to say. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Paul is making the important distinction between the now and the then. The now and the not yet. See, the Corinthians thought that they had arrived. I've got it all. I've got the giftedness. I'm walking as close to the Lord as I possibly could. And Paul says, you're not going to realize that until the Lord Jesus Christ returns. You're actually not as great as you think you are. The gifts you think are of significance and great importance, they're actually not as great as they're going to be when the Lord returns. And most of those things that you think are great are simply going to go away. And he says, but I want you to know this. We see in a mirror dimly that the life of God's people is marked by moments of brilliant loving one another and tragic unloving of one another. But we catch glimpses of the love, don't we? We see it. It's not fully formed. And on the one hand, it excites us about the love that we share in the Lord Jesus Christ. But on the other hand, it grieves us that we live in the now rather than what is to come. But the great joy is that even though we know it in part, then shall we fully know when Jesus comes again, even as I have been fully known. Meaning, Jesus knows you to the bottom. He knows you better than you know yourself. In the Lord Jesus Christ, you are fully known. And yet, there's no way for us to know ourselves fully until we stand in His presence. And certainly, there's no way that we can love each other fully 
without His presence. And certainly we don't love Him as we ought. And yet Paul says that what happens when the Holy Spirit indwells the life of the believer is that He begins to give you a heart like God's. That you begin to love that which is unlovable. And that's what Paul is saying here. Grow up. Grow up into Jesus. Grow up into loving godliness. In other-centeredness. Of not seeking yourself, but the welfare of others. And that this gift that the Holy Spirit gives you is just that. It's not getting up one day and saying, I'm just going to love people better than I am now. And that's a nice thing to desire. But if you want to know this love, you can only know it through Jesus Christ. And to know Jesus Christ is to have His Spirit dwelling within you and transforming you. And so if you want to love, you have to know the love of God and you need to seek the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how love is developed and grown in the heart of a believer. Because without this love, without this Christian maturity, the body of Christ will fall apart. A lack of love is a sign of spiritual immaturity. You know, one of the things that I ran across this week that I'd completely forgotten is a letter from Clement. Clement was an early church father who in the first century, latter part of the first century, obviously, wrote a letter to the Corinthian church. And do you ever wonder after you read 1 Corinthians what happened to them? What was their response to this letter? Well, you can read 2 Corinthians, obviously, but Clement wrote a letter to the church later on. And do you know what happened to the Corinthians? They fell apart. They fell apart. They didn't heed God's word. They didn't love one another, and they had every gift that there might have been. And yet they really did come to nothing. They lost sight of God's great love for them. They developed a double standard that so many of us have where we say, well, I want God to love me like that, but I will never love others. I'll never love him. I'll never love her as I want God to love me. But what is our response? To Paul's point, When our lives are examined, I look out, we're capable people, we're gifted people. But what would you say if somebody said, well, but you're nobody. You're nobody. I think that one of the great evidences that grace and the love of God is evident in the heart of the believer, is when they respond to that question, I know. I know. Apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, and apart from His love poured into my heart, I am nobody. But Jesus is my everything.
Here is love, vast as the ocean. We love because Christ first loved us. And so if you want to know what it means to love others, you need to know the love of God. And I want to leave you with two questions. Two questions to think about this week. And the first is this. Am I sure that God loves me? Am I sure that God loves me? And secondly, how do I know that God loves me? How do I know that God loves me? Paul reminds us love is indispensable, love is practical, and love is eternal. But brothers and sisters, we will not know this great self-sacrificing love in our own lives and in the life of our church unless we know it first and foremost in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would turn to him and love. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we pray that people would look at our lives as they did in the early church and be provoked to jealousy and to say, see how those Adventists love one another. Lord, that we would seek you with everything that we have, for we know that the only way that our lives can be transformed and that we might be able to love those in our lives and those uh, in our church, and uh, even you, Lord, is if you impart your Holy Spirit to us. And so, Lord, we pray not so much that you would give us gifts, but above all, that you would make us a people who love one another. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.